From Suffolk County, New York, this program is sponsored in part by WUSB, Long Island's largest non-commercial free-form radio station. This is Writer's Comma Ice Cream, a weekly craft talk where a pair of scribblers risk brain freeze to answer one question. What's it take to be a writer? My name is Howard Gunston, and I want to be a writer when I grow up. Two problems with that, nothing insurmountable, but I feel compelled to offer complete transparency here. First problem, I'm 39 years old, sort of already in that grown-up camp, despite the comic book collection in my basement, or the Transformers on my bookcase at work, or the talking Han Solo standing guard beside my microphone right now. I got a bad feeling about this. You get the idea. Second problem, I've got a story with threads that date back to when I was 14. I've had two short stories published since then, a memoir piece, but I've never once listed writer in any box asking for my occupation. When do I earn the title? Perhaps when I publish my first novel, but here's my dilemma. I've been working on a manuscript longer than it took Brian Griffin to write faster than the speed of love. What if this never-ending manuscript is truly destined to be my first published novel? Let's hit ludicrous speed and time warp ourselves forward to the day this story peaks an agent's curiosity. My new BFF agent finds me a publishing deal. That deal lands me primo real estate on the exact bookshelves counted by the New York Times for their bestsellers list, and the ensuing attention lands me an invitation to read from my debut novel, Executive Crisis, at my would-be MFA alma mater, Stony Brook, Southampton. Let's nudge our TARDIS a bit further to the inevitable question after that spell-binding reading. How long did it take you to write it? Well, I wrote a paragraph at college in 1995, based on an idea from 89, then revised it, in my mind anyway, after the movie Air Force One premiered in 97. And there the story remained until 2004, when I began character treatments for my protagonists. And so it is that I've written in spurts, finding it easier to stop and think about writing than keep at it and actually write. Is this my punishment then? Must I atone for 20 years of distraction by owning it whenever I speaketh of my book? What silence shall befall the audience as the weight of decades sinks in and they ask each other if not me? What kind of a writer takes 20 years to write a book? Not a very good writer. But here's the thing, listener. I'm 20 years in without a book. It's not ready for prime time. And 10 out of 10 agents agree with me. Thanks so much for giving me a shot at your novel. I'm sorry to say that this I wasn't This is my mom, Dottie Gunston, reading love letters I've received over the years from agents I've queried after executive crisis became first threat. Best of luck. And this is another one in tiny print. Thank you for being so patient while I reviewed your pages for possible representation. Unfortunately, I don't feel it is quite right for my list. Please don't take this rejection as a comment on your writing ability because it isn't intended to be one. Because of my intimate list of clients, I must regrettably decline to take on projects other than those I feel I can represent with a certainty of success. 
I wish you every success with this and... How do I get my manuscript train wreck to my neighborhood bookshelves, or at the very least, my pharmacy's bargain bin? I want to be a writer, so I've got to know. What's it take to be a writer? There was a period of time when the whys and the whats and the hows of writing didn't matter to me. A time when my creative muse's mortal enemy wasn't writer's block or procrastination, but a pesky dot matrix printer determined to misfeed every page. This is the whole thing. So what you have in your hands, it's the first quarter of the first arc of the first act. Star Wars, the rebirth. This is my sound engineer of a husband, Artie Gunston, reading from one of my earliest novels, Star Wars, Episode 7, Rebirth. ...had looked into the matter, but could find no trace of them. Leia loved the peace that the Rebellion had enjoyed ever since the destruction of the last Death Star. The Empire never tried to strike back at them. She had even convinced Han Solo to stay around. Leia thought... Back to the days when she had first... I gotta start over again. Jane. I'm reading like a Jane. <laughs> you know the problem? The dot matrix is like justified and it's like everything's too separated. Today, this would be called fan fiction. And I certainly wrote my fair share of Star Trek and Star Wars adventures. But I wasn't only writing about other people's characters. I also dabbled in creating my own. Death Row by Howard Gunston, age 14. Here it is, my first novel, set in a future New York City with flying cars and a sprawling canvas of characters and action scenes. And I remember making an effort for each character to matter and for every storyline to have a purpose for being there. I don't remember how many pages it was. I wish more of it survived today than I currently have in these few dot matrix pages. But I return to this story because it's here at around this time that I began to understand I wanted to be a writer. And I wanted to remember what it felt like to be brimming with ideas and not feel hampered by having to get it right, but just wanting to write. A Return to Death Row by Howard Gunston, age 15. When I was 13, my English teacher gave us an in-class writing assignment. I wish I still had a copy of it. It's the earliest story of mine that I remember writing. Why this piece? Of all the things that I'd written before, of all the homework assignments and in-class activities, why is this the piece that I remember? Well, you wrote a lot of things, but the one I remember that your father really got a kick out of was being a Vietnam vet. You wrote that story, third person, and your father couldn't get, he couldn't get enough of that. He thought it was like, wow. Even I read it, and I really didn't realize that you had written it. It was like somebody that really experienced being in the Vietnam War. It was like, wow. I remember it for the same reason my mom remembers it, that emotional impact. And for a while, there seemed to be no shortage of opportunities for me to flex that creative muscle. We went to Padua, and we were going to get the material for the uniforms. You had written a screenplay. That was actually high school. It was with Paul and Chris and Rizzo and stuff. That was the Star Trek thing. Yeah. yeah. And remember, we okay. had the whole complicated pattern yes. set. Yes. And um, the expenses kept adding up, and we kept joking that the only one of the group that had a job was Paul. So Paul would be able to finance everything. Paul was our financier. <laughs> I forgot the, that, Paul. The guy worked yes. at a hot dog stand in Graces. Manorville. Yeah. yeah. But he was going to finance everything. He didn't know that. We just <laughs> volunteered that for him. No, that's why I always said that you should be a writer of some kind. You had the talent. 
And then when you were in junior high, we wanted you to be an English teacher because you were very good in English and everything. And, you know, writing would become a part of that. So your father and I were disappointed that you didn't follow through with the English. But it's your life, so we backed you. Listener, there's something you and I have in common. We've each dabbled in writing. As kids, it's what we do. All right, so it's Taco Goes to School. Taco, not spelled the traditional way, but T-O-C-K-O. Here's Artie, this time reading from his own work. Oh, and goes is also spelled G-E-O-S. Mom, I don't want to go to school. You have to. Why? Because. (laughs) And he's watching a TV. And he's supposed to be flying in the living room, I think. Oh, that's a TV. Yeah, it's a TV. Why it looks like it's blown out. I don't know. All right, and he's flying now over a, over a road, and he's wondering, and uh, I, like the I summed it up with a I wonder. Balloon. I wonder. <laughs> All right, and now he's sitting in class, and there's very simple addition problems on the board with the answers, and yet the asshole uh, on his test says basically everything is not right, and he's saying everything's all right in his head. <laughs> And the teacher comes in and says, Taco, you got it all wrong. And his response is, I did. So apparently this <laughs> There's is, a lot going on in that page. This is the special school. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot going on in that page. Yes. You've got the black. Okay. Now he's flying home over the road and thinking, go to your room, is what his mom's going to say. So now he walks in and, Mom, I got them all wrong. And as long as you tried your hardest. <laughs> And try to spell T-R-Y-D. And, and, and fiend. This had to be, I must have been six. Six or seven. At what point do you remember, like, where you stopped just, <laughs> this is going to be the episode with all the background noise. At what point, at what point did you stop, <laughs> uh, like, writing creatively? Probably after high school. Oh, really? So you actually wrote through, like, graduate, like, like no, senior no. year? Yes, and see, yeah, because I did creative writing in high school. Artie's writerly journey tracks very similar to my own. Sure, I could embarrass us with further evidence of our early work, either his... Are kids watching too much television? Most parents would say that all their children do is watch television, but I say stop looking at the bad things about television. Or my own. In a 20-foot radius was affected by the blast. In the back of the warehouse, there used to be a little dock. That dock is no more. But it's after high school when creative writing became more of a hobby than a course requirement that we both stopped. I should be writing something for group. Lee wants to hear the brilliance of ev- each and every one of us every week. Here's someone who Right now I have didn't. one interesting thing to write. No words or stories are pushing at my brain saying, write me down, do it now. This is the story everyone wants to hear. There is no voice in my head begging this to This is out. Marianne Calderon, reading from an exercise in verse. I first met Marianne at our library's writing group, where she attends weekly. So when you, when you were a kid, though, did you write? I did. I wrote, I wrote, I drew. Was there a period of time when you stopped writing? Um, or have you always just... I, I've always written, but never to the extent that I write now. Like, there's writing all over the house. And... Marianne's not exaggerating here. Stories abound in the Calderon household, and yet she's not a writer by occupation. No book spines bear her name, and yet writing is important to her. And it's not just her. It's that time again. Everyone is pairing off. This is one of her daughters, Olivia. 
I guess there are others like me, but sometimes it seems like everyone is joined at the hip or walking at each other's heels. It doesn't matter that they don't always match. They're always together. Olivia is a sophomore in college, studying for a career in criminal justice. It doesn't mean they... It's called Welcome to the Madhouse. The guards escorted the newest member of the loony bin down the hall... This is her son, Nicholas. Half-breed of great political standing was boxed in by four mountains. Nick's a freshman in high school, student-athlete, musician, and, you guessed it, a writer. Shut it, half-breed. You know why you're here. Nicholas remains open-minded about his career plans, but what caught my attention when I first met these three at the writing group is how writing brings them together. It's not a distraction from the day. It's not work. It's fun. All right, so here's, I guess, here's what I wanted to really talk to the family about. The fam. The fam. Here we go. I've known you guys, I think, since 2000. Lee and I were trying to remember when I came to group for the first time. I think it was like 2012, something like that. And since then, I mean, you guys are always, like, you're a family of writing. Like, writing seems to have this kind of special presence in your lives. And I was wondering where that comes from, like what your earliest memory of finding enjoyment in writing is. I see some smiling. Do you want to tell them or should I tell them? How our family writing started was I wanted my children to keep working during the summer at something. And so we would pick, we started out with the first year, 10 words. And, and those 10 words had to be in your story. And then we would ask somebody to be the judge and pick which story they thought was the best. So every year we would we would try to enlist other people too. One year we had my husband's boss, one year it was the principal, principal at Nicholas's elementary school and we would have someone unbiased read our stories to decide whose was the most um, interesting, the most creative. And it, we started at 10 words, then we had 12 words, then we had 16 words. We started with just Everybody got to pick a few words, and then we would put a bunch of words in a plastic bag and pick the words out, and so that's how it started. So I have a collection of summer writing projects at home with Nicholas was probably, I don't know, five or six when he started, and he would look at the words, and and he would um, tell me what he wanted to write, and I would write it down so that whoever was reading it would know what they were writing. And um, so one year, one year... uh, a teacher in our school in North Coleman Road uh, judged one year. My sister-in-law judged. Um, one year, a friend judged. And that's really how we started. And uh, Did you keep building to the amount of words from there? So you started at 10, and then it... It really became that we couldn't... Um, we just couldn't just leave it at 10. 10 words. So we started picking more than 10 words. And when you really think about it, they were very disjointed words. So they were words that really had nothing, nothing to do with one another. Way. So you really had to stop and think about what you wanted to write. And um, it was hard. Sometimes, it is hard. Sometimes those words just didn't make any sense with one another, but they managed to get in there. And I remember one year, I don't remember what the words were, but one year, three people wrote, three of the people that wrote, wrote all in different times, all different places, because you had the whole summer to write. And I, of course, mine was always the last one written because I'm a procrastinator at heart when it comes to things like this, and I write because... I need to have it done that minute, and mm-hmm. and if it comes to me, it kind of comes in my brain. And like we've discussed this, how do, Harry and I, how I write, there's something bouncing around my brain, and it travels down my left arm into my left hand and ends up on the paper. 
but that's how we started writing. Process. Whenever we speak of a writer's process, I feel our words fall short because writing is such an intuitive, subjective art. We either enjoy reading Fifty Shades of Grey or we don't. We find inspiration in the mysterious ways dolphins communicate or we don't. In writing, we talk about showing and not telling. And yet, whenever we talk about process, it really is the exact thing we abhor, telling. If this podcast is going to be serious about the craft of writing, then we need to do better than just talk about the process. We need to show it. Listener, I give you the ice cream in writers, comma, ice cream. What I'm going to be doing is I'm going to invite people to get the flavor in advance. But I've come to the reality that I'm going to have one person listening to this podcast. So I have, I have named this person listener. <laughs> so listener, thank you for joining us. And listener might, not ha- might, might have missed a week and won't have the ice cream with him or her. So for listener that is not here with us, I'm wondering if each of you might take a moment to impress us with your descriptive abilities and describe the experience of Ben and Jerry's cookie dough ice cream. Okay, listener, time to break out that ice cream and play along. These intrepid writers are on the spot, on air, having to describe the flavor. Let's see what they reach for. Marion, what was yours? Lushy? Lusciously smooth and creamy. That almost, I, I got, that almost sounds like it could commercial. be the soundbite for the commercial, yeah. You, we might have to trademark this for you to protect yourself if Ben and Jerry's decides to start using this. Okay, we can do that. So let's just say... We'll make money together. Let, we'll just say trademark. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's mm-hmm. totally legally binding. <laughs> Olivia, what were you going to say? Um, a cure for all ales. Ooh, a cure for all ales. Okay, all right. But I like cookie dough ice cream. Nick, mm-hmm. what was yours? You said it. You started off with it. I don't know, like heaven and a meal? Heaven and a meal. Like heaven that. and a meal. So what do you think, listener? How'd they do? How would you describe cookie dough ice cream if you were in the hot seat? Ben and Jerry's might be wise to employ the Calderones for their marketing team. Heaven and a meal is some good stuff. But if you didn't know they were eating cookie dough, would you have guessed the flavor? But describing the flavor wasn't necessarily the prompt, was it? I asked them to describe the experience, which is exactly what they did. And that's process. This is a tough exercise because it really puts them on the spot. No one is warned before they enter the studio why I'm interviewing them over ice cream. In fact, several of my guests tried to talk me out of it. But I wanted to see a writer's mind at work on the spot in full-on crisis mode. Now what if we tweak the format a bit and give them a chance to corral their wits? What might we see? We are trying to show the writer's process for a common visual prompt. What we're gonna do is we're gonna put five minutes on the clock, and I would love it um, if you guys would just write whatever comes to mind when I show this visual prompt. Now what I'm gonna say is this, we're gonna ask you on air to read your first sentence and your last sentence, and then I'm just gonna ask kind of how you approached this writing prompt, but then I'm gonna ask you to sign your prompts, I'm gonna collect them, and we're actually gonna share these prompts online because listener, is not going to know what this visual prompt is until until the last episode. Oh. That's right, listener. I'm keeping you in the dark. Deal with it. All right, so speaking of back and forth, back and forth, let's hear some first line, last lines. So, uh, Marion, you want to open us up with this? Sure. My first line was, there's my chance. Ooh. And my last line was, want to go for coffee? <laughs> I guarantee, oh, sorry. I guarantee that 
those are unique compared to some of the others that we've seen. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right, um, Olivia? Um, okay, so my first line is, what can I say? And my last line is, well, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Nick. Wow. All right. First line. First line. A stranger yelled walking past me. Last line. This was something out of a horror movie. Oh. <laughs> of course. Of course. Nice. All right. Of course. Fantastic. All right. So sign your papers. Now, does this have to be a signature or is print good enough? No, it's signature. We want an authentic. Oh, it's got to be legally, legally binding, Here we go. I think. Sure you have to sign in a pen. So. As we were wrapping up our time in the WSB studio, Marianne mentioned another writing sample she had with her. And because it's a brilliant example of a mind brimming with creativity and a literary zeal, I had to share it with you. Take but I want home. you to read that right now. Right now? Out yes, loud? right now. <laughs> This is because this is just you guys impromptu yes. going back and forth. Yes, it was, yes, I, definitely it was read last this. Wednesday or the Wednesday before we decided that. Um, because when I come in and I don't have something to write, they're like, oh, here's a napkin. Write on a napkin. <laughs> one day, when so Chris true. one day gave me a paper plate. He's like, here, write on the paper plate. Which you also have plate. in there. And of course, Artie's like, what are you talking about? Um, the, the joke of it all is, is that if you look in this book, there's a whole bunch of napkins and stuff in here and little pieces of paper. Because when and I please. think about something, I just write it on whatever I have. And sometimes I'll be sitting at a light and something will come to me and I only have a napkin. So while the light is, while the light is red, I write something on the napkin. So he said, well, here's a piece of paper. And I said, well, you have to write with me. So this is my, the first line is mine. So every other line is Chris's. Every other line is mine. Can you picture the setup? Marianne is sitting at a table next to Chris. One of them writes a line and passes it to the other. Another line is written and it passes back for another. You've probably played a similar game, each person telling a story one line at a time. Have a listen to Marianne's, but listen to it as a writer. Listen for the anchor points that move the story forward. Can you write just one more line? Can we make this whole sheet rhyme? It, certain, it certainly depends on whether we have the time. If accomplished, it would be divine. Okay, right off the bat, they've settled on a rhyming pattern. Telepathically, mind you, but this will carry them through for the rest of the story. Think deeply and must be refined. Lee's red pen on this page would be a crime. How could she bleed something so fine? In my green shirt, I look like a line. Lee is the facilitator of the writing group. Chris and Marianne have a structure, but no story yet. They're uncertain where to go, so they're focusing on the present. The writing group and the pages in front of them. Red pens, shirt colors. Their writerly motors are spinning. Or maybe a newly planted young pine. I misspelled a word, but must be, be drunk on wine. Or perhaps it is a celestial sign. The library kicks us out at nine. Someday they'll appreciate our unique design. Bingo. Did you catch it? They just found the subject of their story, the library. Let's dial the audio back two lines and listen to how that one word gives the authors momentum that carries them forward. Perhaps it is a celestial sign. The library kicks us out at nine. Someday they'll appreciate our unique design. Instead of, ha instead of hogging the library, mine, mine, mine. Let's tie them up with a huge ball of twine and call them ugly, dirty swine. And here's where the pieces come together. Twine and swine. They've got a story and a structure working in tandem. We won't invite them out to dine and torture them with the crazy minds. Why not ring in their ears with melodious chimes? Hit them with a sack full of dimes. Seeing those meanies cry and whine, lock them in the room with Amanda Bynes. Her, crazy, her craziness will drive them to resign. Maintaining coherency with such rapid line-by-line -line writing is difficult, and the story veers away from the library. They are struggling, so they lean heavily on the structure to find the finish line. But she has a nice behind. 
You know who has a nice behind? Chris Pine. He looks like Tarzan swinging on a vine. They're running out of steam and need to hit the landing. Remember, this is stream of consciousness here. So together, they set their sights on the end. And how do they do it? Well, like a lot of good stories, they end where they began. But, but now it's time to get back to our writing group, Grind. Every professor of every writing class I've ever taken all say the same thing. A writer writes. Ursula Heggie gives her students a sign that reads, Never a day without a word. And we've just met a family that would make Ursula proud. In the Calderones, I see a presence of writing in their lives that I lost. There's similarity in styles between Nick's writing and my Star Wars sample that Artie read for us. Olivia edged past me by being a full-time college student who finds the time to write for pleasure. Pretty impressive for her, and embarrassing for me, because I was a writing major. And Marianne? Well, Marianne proves no matter how busy our lives get, there's writing time waiting for us to seize it, even if it's just a napkin at a Starbucks. Maybe that napkin pays honor to Chris Pine or sketches a boy wizard. Paper is paper. The Calderones, a family of writers, lowercase w. But I want to be the capital kind. How do we get there? If I kick my ass into gear and write, how do I turn this love of writing into a career? That's next time on Writers, Ice Cream, and a Work in Progress with Carrie Horn. Yay! Yay. <laughs> All right, we're out. <laughs>